We now bring you Michael Esser's Undead Weapons. Chapter 7 Far enough away from the devastation taking place downtown, and almost home, everything begins to feel surreal. Looks clear out this far, Jason says aloud. They haven't had time to get out past this part of town yet. Seems like they're just concentrated on downtown for now. Cindy is still silent. When they arrive at the house and find that it's dark inside, Jason's concerned. Inside, Al greets them full of energy and frantically trying to lead them to the closet door where Addie's been left in. What's up, buddy? Jason asks Al before yelling out, Alexis, Addie, anybody home? By now, Al's grown impatient and begins scratching at the closet door. What is it, boy? Al continues scratching at the carpet in front of the door until Jason finally opens it. He flips on the light and finds Addie curled up in a ball sleeping on the floor. Al rushes in and begins licking her face until she finally wakes up. Okay, okay, I'm up. Addie, what are you doing in there? Where the heck's your sister? I don't know where she went. I was played in hide-and-seek with Al and accidentally locked myself in the closet. Cindy breaks her silence. Oh no, what if she couldn't find her and went looking for her? Jason pulls his cell phone from his pocket and tries calling Alexis, but there's no answer. He tries again, but still no answer. She couldn't have went far without a car. She knows Addie wouldn't go anywhere without Al. You two stay here, I'm going to go look for her. Meanwhile, downtown, the wind is whipping through Alexis's hair as her and her friend are cruising down a back street in the new convertible. Everything seems peaceful in this part of town that they're in. In the front seat, sitting awfully close, is Alex's best friend, Susie, and her obnoxious boyfriend, Steve. The two take every free moment they can to make out. In the back seat with Alexis is her punky, spike-haired boyfriend, Sam. Alexis looks down at her phone and sees her uncle calling. She looks worried, but just hits ignore and tucks the phone away in her pocket. Just as the car passes the movie theater, Alexis asks, Where are we going? Steve takes a minute from tongue-fencing Susie. My brother's a bartender at Andy's Dive Bar downtown. He said if we come down tonight, he'd let us drink. Sounds like a plan, Sam adds, sliding Steve a slick high-five. You taking your 17-year-old girlfriend to a bar? Alexis asks Sam. Yeah, well, babe, you're a lot older than that in here, pointing to her heart. And here, pointing to her brain. And here, pretending to grab her chest. Uh, I'm not that easy, she says, slapping him and pushing him away from her. That's why we need to go to the bar, he mumbles under his breath. Outside the bar, the street looks unusually calm. Nobody's walking or driving. And when the teen's car pulls up to the bar, they all look around and notice that it is somewhat odd how calm it is on the streets. What's going on? Is there a party going on somewhere and we miss the invitation? Susie asks out loud to no one in particular. Oh, we're invited and you're the guest of honor, Steve says, opening the door to the car, trying to be funny. Inside, it's more of the same emptiness. Steve's brother, Billy, is lying face down in the bar. He's motionless. Billy! Steve yells out at his brother, who doesn't respond. Hey, Billy! Still not getting a response, Steve takes his arm from around Susie and he gets serious looking. He slowly steps closer and closer to his brother's still body. Billy? He asks as he reaches out to shake his brother's shoulder, but he's still unresponsive. Steve looks back at his friends, who all have looks of concern on their faces. Billy! Steve asks only this time louder and with more of a violent shake. 
Suddenly, Billy jumps up and startles everyone. What the hell, he says, groggy and still out of it. You scared the crap out of me, Steve says, as a smile comes over his face and he punches his brother in the arm. Where the hell is everybody, Sam asks. I don't friggin' know. I wouldn't be here either if I didn't live upstairs, Billy says as he pours himself a shot of vodka. Looks like they're not here. It's going to be another crappy night for tips, he says, pausing to turn around and look at the girls. So, these are the little friends you want to drink with. Where's mine? Hey now, come on. We figured we'd come drink a little beer, play a little pool, you know, Steve replies. All right, all right, let me see your money, Billy asks. Steve and Sam pull out whatever they have crumbled up in their pockets and set it on the bar. Billy picks it up and looks at it before handing them a pitcher of beer and a key to the lock on the pool table. Steve quickly unlocks the table while Sam pours everyone a beer. Sam hands the first one to Alexis, who just sits there staring at it, while everyone else gets theirs. Cheers! Steve clanks everyone's mug harder than necessary as they all take a drink. Alexis takes a tiny sip and spits it out immediately. Ew, that's nasty, she exclaims. I forgot you've never had beer before, babe, Sam says, putting his arm around her. Just drink it fast. That's the best way to get it down, adds Susie. It takes, Alexis takes a big gulp and forces the fermented brew down her, down the best she can. There you go, Sam says, before finally being able to kiss her. Again, she pushes him away. I'm going to have to drink this crap just to wash you out of my mouth, she says with a sarcastic smile. The friends begin taking turns hitting the pool balls around the table. Across town inside the Kingdom Movie Cinema, Jim, Jason is going up and down the dark aisles looking for Alexis. Alexis, you in here? He tries to whisper loud enough to be heard, only to be shushed by someone in the audience. In the empty lobby, the manager is frantically trying to reach somebody on the telephone. Look, I don't know where you two are, but it's Friday night, and you're supposed to be here to cover the late shift for me. Call me back, or better yet, just get your butts in here. She notices Jason standing in front of her and hangs up the phone. Hey, how's it going, Mr. Jason? That's a tough one. Uh, have you seen Alexis tonight? No, I would have, too, because I'm the only one working. I tell you, last time I hired a married couple, because when you lose one, you lose them both. Um, where were they coming from? They rent a room downtown. Why? Jason flashes back to the scene when he was driving downtown and remembers the couple dressed in usher uniforms being attacked. They're not coming. And if you're smart, you'll close early and get as far away from Kingman as possible. Something's going on downtown that might be spreading this way. He warns before heading out the front door. Back in the bar, Sam and Alexis are sitting in a booth. Sam is lightly kissing her neck. The pitcher is empty and so are their glasses. The sound of the pool balls clinking against one another is being accompanied by the low volume of an old jukebox playing some ancient country song. Without warning, the front door is kicked in and the body of one of the sheriff's deputies is thrown into the bar. For a second, nobody moves as he lies there lifeless, appearing to have been mangled from something unnatural. Then, Alexis pushes Sam's off, Sam off her and rushes over to the downed officer. When she gets to him, she pulls at his shoulder, flipping him face up. Oh my God, Susie gasps. This didn't just happen. These wounds have started to dry. Look how the blood's all coagulated, Alexis states. Billy picks up the phone to call the cops, but hesitates. What are you waiting for, Alexis asks in a hostile tone. 
got a bar full of underage kids drinking on my watch, and I'm supposed to just invite cops here to start asking questions? Suddenly, what's left of the deputy's corpse rises up, infected. It startles everyone and causes Susie to scream. Sam pulls Alexis back by her collar just as the dead officer takes a bite at the air, barely missing her. Then again, the door's kicked in, only this time it's blown off its hinges by the force and lands in the middle of the room. In walk two methodical-looking beasts who are slowly sizing up the joint. They decide to go straight for Billy, while the deputy continues his attack at the teens. Steve has his pull cue in his hand and shoves it clean through the deputy's head. But he just keeps coming. Then Susie swings a chair and breaks it over the deputy's back, knocking him down. Billy ducks down behind the bar to load the shotgun he keeps for emergencies. When he pops back up, it's just enough time for him to shoot one of the slower ones in the stomach. It blows a visible hole clean through it. He quickly cocks the gun and fires. His second shot hits the other crawler right in the leg, blowing it clean off. Both, both beasts fall to the ground. Everyone is out of breath and in shock at what they've just seen. And they're quiet for a second, except for now the eerie old country song playing on the jukebox. Everyone is looking at each other in shock. Then, through the door steps, the big one who gave commands from the train. He first sniffs the air, and then in a growl says aloud, Tessum. One by one, the motionless bodies arise. Again, they each gauge their prey and resume their attack. At that moment, they're joined by the addition of two new grotesque runners who've rushed past the giant dead man standing in the doorway. The faster ones both head right for the armed bartender. Unprepared, Billy barely has enough time to cock the shotgun when the first fast killer leaps over the bar just as he pulls the trigger and it blows the beast's head clean off. But it's too late as the other quick son of a bitch hits its mark. In a single bite, it tears at him ripping his lips off while gouging out his eyes. The two wounded ones crawl on the fallen body and finish him off by tearing into him. Meanwhile, Stephen and Susie are wrapped up in a struggle with the deputy. One wrong move and the deputy bites clean through Steve's jugular. Blood sprays everywhere, hitting Susie in the face and causing the floor to become slippery. She pulls back just enough to slip and gives the deputy's corpse enough time to position for an attack that overwhelms her. Witnessing the events in hiding, Sam sees an opportunity to attempt to drag the shocked Alexis out the back door. The large leader hears the back door open and gets another whiff of the air as the breeze whips past the couple and into the bar. Attracted to the scent, he walks by Susie and without concern rips her head clean off in a single swipe her body still in the grasp of the deputy. He sniffs her neck hole, but doesn't find what he's in search of and tosses it aside and continues towards the back door. Alexis, being pushed by Sam, flies over the back door and has to catch herself as she lands on the ground from the momentum. Sam bends over to help her up, but just as he begins to lift her up, an arm bursts out and yanks him back into the bar. Stunned and unable to get to her feet fast enough, Alexis tries to crawl away backwards. The door flies open again, only now the large man steps out. Again, he sniffs the air. As Alexis begins to scoot away, he grabs her by her ankle. She struggles, but manages to get free, leaving the monster holding only her shoe. 
He smells the stain on her shoe and quickly pulls his face away. He curiously inspects the cowering Alexis and growls, Go or die. Startled at this chance, she quickly scrambles to her feet and runs off down the alley with only one shoe on. She rips across the highway and disappears into the overgrown brush. Chapter 8 A still sobbing Alexis is hysterical as she's trying to escape, but because of the darkness in the desert, trips and falls down into the dirt. She struggles to stumble back to her feet as she tries to make her way down the dark road and away from the nightmare. From the darkness up ahead, she strains to see the distant headlights of a car heading towards her. Rushing out into the middle of the road, she attempts to flag down the driver before it's too late. She flails her arms in desperation as a vehicle creeps to a stop. Alexis, Lynn, is that you? The feminine voice from inside the car asks. Yes, ma'am. Alexis answers, getting close enough to notice that it's the manager from the movie theater. In her fluster, she fumbles with the door handle a second before getting it open and quickly getting in. She instantly locks the door and rolls up the window. What the hell happened to you? Your uncle was in the theater looking for you a little while ago. He's worried to death. Looking around frantic, Alexis begins to explain herself. Unfortunately, the words she's forming aren't coming out clear enough to be comprehended. The theater manager sits confused. Slow down, honey. I can't understand you. Sounds like gibberish. Did this have something to do with what your uncle was warning me about? Not sure what her uncle might have said, Alexis takes a deep breath trying to compose herself. There are dead people killing everything they come across. They even got the sheriff, and one of them told me to leave or he's going to kill me. Confused, the driver leans her head towards the open driver's side window. She takes a deep breath of the fresh air and tries to process what she's just heard. Baby girl, are you on drugs? What'd you take? You could tell me. Out of nowhere, the driver is ripped out of the car by her head. Screaming at the top of her lungs, Alexis rushes to unlock the door and get out of the car. Just as she's about to step off the concrete, she glances back in the direction of the car to see if this thing was following her. Not paying attention to what was in front of her, she slams into something hard. The surprise knocks her back off balance and back on her backside. When she looks up, she sees what she's ran into, and it's the chest of her blood-covered father. Daddy? Daddy? Alexis exclaims in both relief and joy. Then the runner jumps up onto the roof of the car and then down the other side, landing directly behind Alexis. Its head, along with its left arm, is twitching at a blurry rate. It slows down enough to peer down at the fallen Alexis. As it pauses, Michael takes a hard swing at its head with another table leg that he's been carrying. His blow knocks the monster back on and into the passenger side of the idling car. It seems to be motionless as Michael turns to check on Alexis. Are you all right, baby girl? Behind you, daddy, she yells. Michael turns, ramming a blade that he's pulled from his belt along with his fist completely through the runner's head and out the back of it. He was a scout for the others. That means more will be coming, he says, pulling his arm out of the dead creature's skull. I'm so glad to see you, Alexis whispers while clinching to her father. 
the two get into the car and reverse out towards home, leaving the lifeless bodies on the road. Chapter 9 Jason pulls up in front of their house, frustrated. Inside, Cindy and Addie are gathering any and every type of weapon they can onto the kitchen table. Jason comes in with his arms full of tattered research papers. He gives Cindy a look and shakes his head as he drops the load he's carrying onto the couch. I couldn't find her anywhere. She's not answering her phone. I just hope she didn't go downtown, Cindy adds. What's downtown, Addie asks. Just then, there is a jiggle of the door handle at the front door. The girls jump and grab for each other. Son of a... Jason says, grabbing an old samurai sword that he's had on his shelf for years as he's prepared to fight. Then there's a knock. Jason takes cautious steps toward the door until he's close enough to see out the peephole. He drops his arm in relief and quickly opens the door. Michael and Alexis walk through, and almost in slow motion, Cindy and Addie both run at them, clinging to their necks. We knew you were alive, Jason says to Michael. While still embracing his hand and giving him a shoulder hug, Jason continues. We saw your jacket in the blood. Michael nods as he recaps the fight with the first dead he encountered and how he killed it. Well, after we heard the scream, I went to help. But those slow zombie-like things had already chewed up these two rail workers, and now they were eating the lady that I had heard screaming. Then, whatever is leading them ordered them all to disperse. When I tried to get back to Cindy, whatever the lady uh, had turned into began to attacking me. She was different. She was fast. I only think I got a jump on her because she was so new. After that, I, I realized that if we're going to get these fast ones before they get you, you're going to have to aim where you think they're going to be, not where they are. Otherwise, you're going to miss every time. I killed a few more of the crawlers down the road, but they weren't as fast as the other ones. They were just tough. I had to practically dismember them before I could get them to stop coming after me. One of the leaders talked and even let me go after he smelled something on my shoe, Alexis adds quietly, knowing that if she tells her story about the bar, she's going to be in trouble, but she does anyway. Describing the talker's reaction causes Jason to grab his data sheets and then look down at Alexis' remaining shoe. He sees a splotch where the medicated rabbit's feces had left a stain. Addie, baby girl, go grab my black light. What's going on, Jason? Alexis asks, concerned that there's something wrong with her. Addie returns and hands him his cordless blacklight. He flips it on. Hey, babe, can you turn the lights off for me? Jason asks Cindy. Instantly, it's revealed that Alexis has a lot of the residue from the highly concentrated chemicals from the animal on her chin, neck, hands, and shoe. Ooh, is that what's still on me? Don't you see? This is what saved you. They don't like this chemical for some reason. It repelled them. I think I'm going to puke. So if we could just get more of this stuff, we could repel them, Cindy asks. Yes, but I have a better idea, Jason answers with his data sheet in hand. Girls, go get ready for bed, Michael instructs them. I'll come tuck you in in a minute. How am I supposed to sleep, Alexis asks. At least help your sister, Michael adds. I guess I better not take another shower, Alexis said in disgust. I wouldn't, 
Cindy adds giggling. And be sure to give your sister some extra hugs tonight. Maybe some of that poop will rub off on her. Ha ha, Alexis mocks sarcastically as he grabs her sister's arm. Can I sleep with you? Addie asks. Yeah, come on. Just as Alexis sits down on the bed, Addie jumps up onto the back of her, pretending to choke her. What are you doing? Alexis asks. You left me locked in the closet and went with your friends. I'm mad at you. It's at that moment Alexis actually takes in the fact that her friends are all dead. Or worse, now one of those things. She begins to weep uncontrollably. Addie sees this and feels bad, thinking that she's the reason she's crying. It's all right, Lexi, I forgive you, she says sweetly. Alexis turns into her sister's arm and the two hug. I'm sorry, Alexis apologizes. It's all right, Addie pauses to take in her sister's words. You know, that's the first time I can remember you ever apologizing for anything. That needs to change, Alexis adds. Undead Weapons, the series, will be back next week with another episode. Stay tuned.